Cancer Advances, a Cleveland Clinic podcast for medical professionals, exploring the latest innovative research and clinical advances in the field of oncology. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Cancer Advances. I'm your host, Dr. Dale Shepard, a medical oncologist here at Cleveland Clinic overseeing our toxic phase one and sarcoma programs. Today, I'm happy to be joined by Dr. Joyce Shen, an endocrine surgeon and surgical director of the Cleveland Clinic Thyroid Center here at Cleveland Clinic. She is here today to give us a surgical insight on the use of molecular profiling tools for patients with thyroid cancer. Welcome, Joyce. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So maybe uh, to start out, give us an idea of what your role is here at Cleveland Clinic. So I actually came here in 2009 as a clinical fellow for endocrine surgery. And since 2010, I've been uh, endocrine surgery staff. Um, And then I was appointed to the surgical director of the Thyroid Center I believe about eight or nine years ago. So we have the Cleveland Clinic Thyroid Center is um, known for its excellence and it involves taking care of patients with thyroid diseases, a lot of thyroid cancer, and it allows us to work with many other specialists. It's a multidisciplinary approach in dealing with patients with thyroid cancer. So we try to deliver excellent care and for patients with thyroid disorders. Excellent. And we've had a couple of previous uh, episodes uh, of our, our podcast, and we've talked about thyroid cancer, but maybe just as a, as a backdrop, give us an idea, thyroid cancer, what is thyroid cancer? How common is it? So the thyroid is an organ that is placed in front of the neck, so on top of the trachea or the windpipe. It is one of the four endocrine disorders that I operate on. So it's thyroid, parathyroid, adrenal, and pancreas. Um, but thyroid disorders is the most common. Most of my patients have thyroid disorders, whether it's benign or malignant. And thyroid cancer is now the fastest growing cancer among women. But fortunately, though, most of thyroid cancer is very treatable. Now, why is it becoming so rapidly fast growing? Um, one of the concepts is that, you know, we do a lot of imaging for other studies. So we're starting to find smaller lesions that's not even palpable. It's just instantly found on other imagings like CT or MRI or other ultrasounds of the carotid. Um, but there are other, you know, environmental factors, family history things like that, that will also predispose patients to having thyroid cancer. So although very treatable, it is very fast growing and it is the most common endocrine disorder that we deal with. When we think about um, detection, you mentioned, you know, we do more pictures and we see more nodules on on films. Um, Is that becoming the most common way this is identified or is it still identifying nodules through, you know, annual physicals and things like that? So that's a good question. Um, you know, a lot of patients who come to me for thyroid cancer, they say, well, I didn't have any symptoms. You know, the only reason it was picked up is because I had some imaging studies. So the smaller cancers that are not palpable, you know, less than two centimeters or sometimes even three centimeters, you can't really palpate it unless it's firm or if the patient has a really thin neck. So most of the times now we're seeing a lot of these smaller cancers incidentally, and then they undergo more workup and biopsies, and then they become known as cancer. But a lot of the cancers now are not found on physical exam, unfortunately. So the larger nodules, the larger nodules that become cancer have been there for a while. So they probably have the cancer for a longer time. 
it's unfortunate that we're finding more cancers, but we're finding them earlier as well. So the early detection, you know, better prognosis. Um, so there is a little bit of a mix of, you know, how do we find these cancers? And a lot of the time it is just incidentally on imaging. But physical exam is also very important because if it's large enough, you could palpate it on physical exam. The unfortunate thing with thyroid cancer is that there are not a lot of symptoms related to it. You know, a lot of people come and see me and say, my voice has changed. But that's not the usual symptom of thyroid cancer unless it's very invasive. So unless you feel something where, you know, it's a little bit more constricting around your neck, most of the time it's really asymptomatic. And I guess just as a, as a backdrop, we say becoming more common. What, what's, the, what's the annual number of cases? How many cases are we really talking about? So um, I can't give you an exact number, but I would say about one out of five women will have a thyroid nodule detected. So that means, you know, one out of five women will have something in the thyroid and each nodule will have about a five to 15% of being cancer. So although the, the percentage is low, the amount of thyroid nodules is high. And also just because you have a thyroid nodule that is not benign at the present moment doesn't mean that it can turn into cancer. So once a thyroid nodule is detected, it's very important for the patient to be follow-up routinely on imaging or something so that we keep an eye on it. Because a lot of these cancers will stay indolent or small, and then, you know, in a few decades or even a few years, they can become a cancer. So once it's detected, the most important thing is for routine follow-up. All right. And then um, I guess just to, to finalize the intro part here, I guess it, there's some reassurance that we do see patients a lot they come in for imaging for other things and they have a nodule. So um, you mentioned like five to 15% of the time, these are cancers. So at least while the workup is being started, we can provide a little bit of reassurance that probably nothing to worry about. Yeah, most of the time, I mean, that's a pretty good percentage of not being cancer. There are some risk factors such as family history, radiation exposure as a child or an infant, you know, some environmental factors as well. So those are the things that we always ask our patients when we see them, because that would increase their risk of cancer. But most of the time, they're not cancer, which is a good thing. Absolutely. I guess part of the uh, the advantage of here at the clinic, you mentioned about multidisciplinary care. And as a surgeon, you know, certainly we're a high volume uh, place for, for doing these surgeries. What are some of the advantages of coming here where there's higher volumes um, and more multidisciplinary care? So it is a it is a proven fact that high volume surgeons have better outcome, um, not just in the field of endocrine surgery, but I would say for all specialties of surgery. Because the more experience that you have, the better the outcome, the more experience. So coming to the Cleveland Clinic, you know, it's a it's the Cleveland Clinic. I mean, we have fabulous surgeons, we have fabulous medical staff. Uh, so we're known for good care and good outcome. Um, the good thing about this multidisciplinary approach that we have is that sometimes we get very difficult patients, not the bread and butter, first time cancers. You know, we see a lot of recurrent cases, persistent disease. You know, if patients have had their surgeries initially by someone who was not familiar with doing thyroid surgeries or other other surgeries, then they initially don't get the right procedure. Then we are dealing with a reoperative neck. And that's kind of a word you don't want to hear because there's going to be scarring, which which causes, um, it's a harder surgery, more morbidity, but we're trained to operate. I mean, I would say about 20 to 25% of the patients that we see are reoperative cases. So we do have a lot of experience in operating on patients, not only with difficult disease, but also patients who need surgery second, third, fourth time around. And 
those patients usually have very extensive or more aggressive disease, which will require not just a surgeon removing the cancer, but also a medical endocrinologist, regular oncologists, you know, radiation oncologists, ENT surgeons who deal with very advanced cancers that may require laryngectomy. So we have all these resources because it just doesn't require one person for cure, but we really uh, work with our other specialists so that the patient get, you know, not even just neoadjuvant, but adjuvant care, which is the treatment they need after surgery. Okay. Let's go to the very beginning. Somebody has a nodule. What? Uh, how do we find out if there's a cancer? What, kind of walk us through kind of where we've been and where we're going. Sure. So now that we're seeing nodules, whether it was found incidentally or on physical exam, or maybe even the, the patient was feeling the neck and found something, the first thing that they'll most often be seeing their primary care provider, and he or she will do some more workup, whether that means an ultrasound of the neck is usually the, the most appropriate and the most non-invasive test, or they'll just be directly referred to a thyroid specialist. And at that time, the Endocrinology and Metabolism Institute, which comprises of endocrine surgeons and medical endocrinologists, we are equipped in our offices to do ultrasounds in the office. So the first time we see the patient, we will perform the ultrasound in the office. And all the endocrine surgeons and some of the medical endocrinologists will offer finding isolation biopsy at the time of the first consult, which is really nice because a lot of our patients, as you know, who come to the clinic come from far away and they don't want to come back for another ultrasound or another biopsy. So we do this, what we call this one-stop shop. So they're very happy that they get everything done at the first consultation. The finding isolation biopsy is the best tool in diagnosing uh, whether a thyroid nodule is cancer or not very good outcome, and there is minimal downtime. Really, there's no downtime. I mean, you do the procedure in while well, the patient's there and they could go back to work. Um, it's like getting a blood draw, but it's in the neck, you know, so it's a little bit more a little bit more uncomfortable, but nothing, you know, no downtime at all. Very minimal, very minimal risks in the hands of a good technician. Um, and that will be the the usual step. And the, of course, the biopsies are great, but unfortunately, it's not always black and white. You know, there's some gray areas in terms of um, what the results are. And tell us a little bit about that part. How, how, when, what, what are the likely outcomes from a staging um, from, off of a fine needle aspiration? So people who deal with thyroid nodules and other thyroidologists and our cytologists have this common vocabulary that we use. So we call this the Bethesda system for thyroid cytology, where there's five categories and there is benign then there's the obvious cancer, and then there is things in between, such as what we consider indeterminate nodules. And depending on if it is an indeterminate nodule or not, there is some other things that now that we can do because before molecular testing, which I'll get into, there was really, if it was an indeterminate nodule, you automatically got a diagnostic lobectomy or something in the operating room, which, you know, nobody wants to have surgery just to figure out what it is. You know, a non-invasive procedure will be ideal, but that was not always available. So if it was benign, we followed it. If it was cancer, this patient had surgery. And if it was this kind of middle gray zone in indeterminate nodules, then we kind of gave the patient a choice. You know, do you want a diagnostic surgery or do you want to follow it? And that really became the conversation between the surgeon and the patient. But now we have some other tools that will kind of sway us one way or the other. And so that's where we get into the molecular profiling. Mm -hmm. So so tell us, uh, tell us how that works. 
So the molecular profiling that we use called a FIRMA uh, testing, um, when we do the biopsy, we take a small specimen and we will send it routinely to a cytologist where they, we smear the cells on a slide and they will be able to look at it on the microscope and be allowed to you know, tell us if it's one of those categories. But sometimes there are some atypical cells and they can't call it benign, they can't call it cancer. So what we do is we save a small fluid from the initial aspirate, and we put it into this Affirma tube, which is molecular profiling. So that tube gets sent only if it is one of those indeterminate nodules. So if it's benign, we don't need the Affirma testing. If it's cancer, we don't need the Affirma testing unless we need it for further um, treatment, like an, like an adjuvant therapy for aggressive cancers. But if it's one of these indeterminate nodules, whether it's a follicular neoplasm, Suspicious for a follicular neoplasm or a follicular lesion of undetermined significance, those are the two categories. Then we'll send it to a firma, and there's two results. So they will look at all the mutations that could possibly be, and they'll test it for thousands, and they'll be able to let us know if it is um, benign or if it's cancer or suspicious is the, is the word that they use. The great thing about the molecular testing that we use is that it has a great negative predictive rate, meaning that if they call it benign, it's about almost 95% that it is benign, which is just as good as having a false negative rate of 5%. So we treat them like a benign nodule and we follow up accordingly with routine ultrasound. But if they call it suspicious, the cancer rate is about 50%. I mean, most patients get a little bit anxious at that time, you know, of having a 50% chance of having cancer. So then that leads to another conversation of, you know, what do we do at this point? There are only a few patients I would have to say that hear a firmer suspicions to say, well, I don't want surgery. I'm just going to live with it. Most patients will like some type of a procedure done. And um, that procedure is the discussion between the surgeon and the patient. So you kind of get a cancer, no cancer suspicion, but you had mentioned that, you, that this also could give you information about treatment options as well. Is that being incorporated as well? Things like certain mutations that might have therapies associated with them? Yes. So like I said, we do not routinely send out the firma molecular testing unless it's one of these indeterminate nodules. But I recently had a patient who had a very aggressive cancer and the firma tube is kept within our facility for a certain amount of time. So I ended up operating on this patient and he had a very aggressive tumor where it was not an R0 resection. So I know that he has some type of aggressive form. So then what I would do is I would ask our Affirma company to take that tube, although it was routinely PTC, we don't routinely send it, but then they'll analyze the initial FNA for certain mutations that can be targeted for our oncologist later on if he ever needs to get adjuvant therapy, such as targeted therapy for thyroid cancer or even external beam radiation. So that becomes really helpful for our oncology colleagues. And so how much... Uh... Uh, if, if you have an aspiration, you're not quite clear if it's cancer or not, you send off this test, what kind of lead time? How, how much time does that add for, a, for an answer for the patient? It, you know, when this Affirma first came into play for us, it took about six weeks. Now it's much faster. I would say an average of three weeks, so about half the time. So by the time we get the Affirma result back, you know, it, it's in time for them to have surgery. So it's very helpful, and it doesn't really delay the treatment plan 
um, because it's back in a few weeks, which is nice. And then this is, uh, tell us a little bit about the availability of this. Is this something that's becoming standard practice or is this something that some centers are more likely to, to do or not? Mm-hmm. So there are other molecular testing as well, Thyroseq being the, the competitor. Thyroseq and Affirma both tend to have the same, you know, relatively the same positive and negative predictive value. Not one is better than the other because I have colleagues all over the country who either use Affirma or Thyroseq. And the clinic started utilizing Affirma several years ago, um, and it started within our institute because we do, I would say, we do the most volume of biopsies. And it's funny that you mentioned that because we are now having some of our radiology colleagues, like interventional radiology, do some of these biopsies. Um, now they are being trained to do Affirma testing. So now we are really training our whole uh, radiology team, not just at main campus, but all the regional centers, including Akron, to utilize this. And we have a, a wonderful rep who is now educating them. And the great thing is that the procedure is mostly covered by insurance, and it's only utilized if it's one of those two categories. So about 25% of them, up to 30% will actually need the molecular testing. Not every biopsy needs it. So that's good to hear, though, because it seems like there's this is a, a commonplace enough problem where a, a, a primary care doc may be the one that sees the nodule and may send a radiology. And, you know, you're as an endocrine surgeon, you, of course, are doing this, but... Uh, there's a lot of avenues for people getting biopsies, so it's good to hear that mm-hmm. it's a little bit more diverse. Right. When we think about um, that sort of diversity of patients, are there particular patients, certainly redo operations and things like that, are there categories of patients that really do need to see an, an endocrine specialist rather than kind of starting the process maybe with a, a biopsy and going from there? You know, within the clinic, the Endocrinology Metabolism Institute is very available. And I think people know that once a patient has a mass in the neck, you know, a lot of them just get sent directly to us. But the ones that need to be seen are the ones that have rapidly growing masses, um, patients who may have some nerve compromise. So hoarseness would be another one that that just kind of indication of, of, of a potential aggressive disorder thyroid disease, and um, just really anyone with a rapidly growing mass would be concerning for something. And then patients, obviously, with metastatic disease, especially in the neck and distant, although most of the thyroid cancers metastasize locally in the neck to lymph nodes. But there are patients who've, you know, this has been an undiagnosed disorder for a long time. They could have metastatic disease to other parts of the body. So I guess uh, just sort of a final thought. Are there Particular gaps, either from a surgical perspective, surgical techniques, are there new things being done to, to address those? Or, or on a diagnostic, the, the molecular profiling certainly helping identify the right patients that need surgery. Are there, are there other things that are, that are coming along that you're excited about? So the molecular testing is the, the companies are always, you know, finding new mutations. So we are actually working with some of the clinicians who work directly for the molecular testing companies and our representatives for Pharma, where new mutations are coming along. I mean, they're testing most days with new mutations that will kind of help us lead, you know, into the surgical decision, whether a partial thyroidectomy will be sufficient or if there are certain mutations that will make us kind of lean towards a total thyroidectomy. So that's kind of where our 
decision-making shui now is, is that, you know, once a firma is done, then the specifics and the details of that will lead us into a partial or a total thyroidectomy. So it kind of leads us into our decision tree. Is there anything from a surgical standpoint, the, the technique itself, yeah. that, that seems particularly exciting? So, you know, my, one of my partners have been um, performing robotic thyroidectomies for a long time. So this is a technique that was um, really started in Korea, and it's, it's done robotically through the axilla. And the only real advantage of that, and I'm Korean, so I know, is to prevent a cervical incision because in Korea, it, like the neck was a sign of beauty. So it's, it's actually better to have a scar across your face than across the neck. So they wanted to preserve that. So they will make a bigger incision across the axilla and make these flaps to get to the thyroid. The other technique that is being done not here is transorally which to make an incision um, right underneath the inner part of the lip, and they would make flaps and go downward through that. Now, these are very technically challenging, but, you know, like I said, the the usual way is to just go through the neck, but some patients are very sheepish about having a, a incision in the neck, so they would do these other procedures, although they do require a very talented surgeon, and there are some other morbidities associated with that. So at the clinic right now, we are using some robotic surgeries, but our standard of care for most of us is still through the neck. Now, you know, it's not like back in the day, they used to make an incision from ear to ear. We don't do that anymore. You know, there we do where a lot of patients ask about, you know, are you going to do my surgery laparoscopically or minimally invasive? That's a, those are all fancy terms just to say we're going to make a very small incision because, you know, our, sometimes our incisions are even smaller than what incision you need to put in a scope. So we don't do laparoscopic. It's just that we wear these magnifying loops. We have, you know, special lighting in the OR where we're able to see very small things. So we're able to do this through a very small incision. Very good. Well, thank you for all of your insights today. Thank you. To make a direct online referral to our TASA Cancer Institute, complete our online cancer patient referral form by visiting clevelandclinic.org slash cancer patient referrals. You will receive confirmation once the appointment is scheduled. This concludes this episode of Cancer Advances. You will find additional podcast episodes on our website, clevelandclinic.org slash cancer advances podcast. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, SoundCloud, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And don't forget, you can access real-time updates from Cleveland Clinic's Cancer Center experts on our ConsultQD website at consultqd.clevelandclinic.org cancer. Thank you for listening. Please join us again soon. Music